Take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Today we are finishing up the first of the three chapters that contain the Sermon on the Mount in the book of Matthew. So next week we're going to move on to chapter 6. So when I come to you next week, I won't say turn to Matthew chapter 5 as I've done for about 16 sermons now, I think it is, altogether, including the Beatitudes. We'll go to Matthew chapter 6 next week. But today I'm going to pull together two topics that are very similar, okay? Let's talk first about retaliation. And I'm going to start reading Matthew chapter 5, verse 38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let them have your coat as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you." I want to keep with the pattern that we've been using recently of looking at the Old Testament teaching and understanding what's taught in the Old Testament, but then look at how Jesus expounds on the Old Testament teaching, all right? In the Old Testament, we have what is called the Lex Talionin, Talionin. You say you're saying that wrong. No, I'm not. Lex Talionin, okay? That's what it's called. And those are the laws of retaliation, the Lex Talionin, the laws of retaliation, the, the, the laws of retaliation are given to protect the innocent and to make sure that retaliation doesn't take place beyond what the offense was. So, for example, somebody comes up to you and, um, in the Old Testament and they hit you. Um, the laws of retaliation are in place to make sure that the person hit doesn't come back with an army of his own and really mess up the guy who did the hitting, all right? Here's some of, the, here's some of the, um, the verses that we find this in, okay? you got Exodus chapter 21, verse 24, where it says, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. Y'all heard this before? Yeah? All right, here's another one. Leviticus 24, 20. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, whatever injury he has given a person shall be given to him. Deuteronomy 19, 21. Your eye shall not pity. In other words, when you look at an offense that's taken place, you should not resort to pity, right? It shall be, for li- uh, shall be life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. All of those are really kind of a reflection. They're saying the same thing. These are all passages that ensure equality when it comes to retaliation. When somebody's done something, here is the level of retaliation that's supposed to take place. Equal, equality there. But Jesus is about to expound on this by saying this. Remember, he's been saying, you've heard that it was said this, but I say to you, he says in verse 39, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. If anyone will sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If anyone goes, forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Now, as Jesus is teaching here, He's doing so with a big picture kingdom mindset in mind, okay? Not necessarily the one little occurrence. He's thinking big, big picture here. The main thrust of what Jesus has been talking about in this section of of, of the Sermon on the Mount is about what it looks like to be a righteous person. So what does a disciple of Jesus look like when they're a righteous individual? A Christian uh, in our day is, is declared righteous by God, so they are to now live a righteous life. So how does a righteous person live a righteous life when they've been wronged? That's what we're talking about today. You've been wronged. Something has happened against you, so what are you supposed to do as a righteous individual? 
I want you to follow along in your handout as we go through this. There's some fill-in-the-blank notes. There's fill-in-the-blank notes both for for adults and for kids. Kids, if you fill these things in, then take your fill-in-the-blank notes to Miss Pam afterwards. She'll give you a prize. Right, Miss Pam? Did I get that right? I didn't want to promise something that doesn't actually take place, but all right, good. Number one, as we look at this, these characteristics of a righteous person, we see that the righteous person is humble. The righteous person is humble. Jesus says there, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. A slap is never, ever a sign of respect or of love, is it? Somebody slaps you, it is never a sign of respect or love. It is always an insult. Um, It's not even meant to inflict a great deal of pain. It is just there to let a person know that you don't respect them, you don't love them. That's the purpose of a slap. So when a person gets slapped, they've got a decision to make. What's their response going to be? Are they going to haul off and hit the other person? Well, Jesus says no. He says turn the other cheek. The point here is is the righteous person is humble. But I want you to think for a moment about the prideful person. It's the opposite of humble. Prideful, opposite of humility. Pride considers yourself more important than the other person. So what Jesus is saying here is don't consider yourself more important than that other person. Don't haul off and hit them back. Be humble. Put the other person above yourself. Now, I'm going to come back to this in a couple of moments. I know I'm spending very little time on it, but I'm coming back to it, okay? So hold on. Next, the righteous person is selfless. They are selfless. Verse verse 40, if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your coat as well, your cloak as well. Verse 42, give to the one who begs from you. Do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Now, when a person gets sued, it's not a good thing at all, is it? In fact, you hear, you get, that, you get that notice that you're being sued and your heart just kind of drops. Man, what in the world's going to happen here? And most of us think, all right, I'm about to lose my shirt and my coat, <laughs> right? They're suing me for my shirt, but I'm going to lose my coat as well. What Jesus is saying here is be selfless. Go ahead and give them your tunic and your cloak. Let it go. Operate with the big picture in mind. Which one is more kingdom-minded, okay? A, to fight tooth and nail to win a lawsuit. Or B, to understand that harm can come from a lawsuit and lay aside your rights at justice. Well, we would say that, that B is the one that seems like it's more kingdom-minded because it's thinking about, okay, what about down the road? Because here's, here's the thing. As you move through a conflict, we'll just use conflict here, not necessarily even lawsuit. As you move through a conflict, relationships are going to be hurt, aren't they? And if there's not resolution brought to it, then you will hurt relationships. So what Jesus is saying here is be selfless. Now, sometimes you don't have a choice. you got to go to court and you got to defend yourself. You don't have a choice. But what Jesus is getting at here is be selfless. It's not about you. It's about the big picture. Number three, the righteous person goes the extra mile. That righteous person goes the extra mile. Jesus says, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Now, we read that, and we don't really think too much about it. But in the day in which Jesus is speaking, when he said this, it would have fallen very, very heavy on the Jewish people that he's speaking to. Because here's what's happening. 
Jesus and, and really the nation of Israel as a whole is living under the rule of Rome. Rome has come in, they've occupied the nation of Israel. There's a law that says that if you are a Jew and a Roman leader of any kind or a Roman soldier comes up to you and says, I want you to carry this burden 1,000 steps, you are required to carry that burden 1,000 steps. 1,000 steps is about the equivalent of one mile. You can imagine in that day that people would have been counting their steps. One, two, three. How far do I have to go here to carry this burden? They didn't have a choice. It was the law. In fact, you think about when Jesus is on his way to Golgotha to die, the Roman soldier pulls Simon out of the crowd to carry Jesus' cross. Simon didn't have a choice. It was the law that he's been given a burden to carry by a Roman, and he has to do it. So Simon carries that burden to the cross, to to Golgotha. So what Jesus is saying here is that, um, you know what? Take that burden, that thousand steps, but at the end of that thousand steps, don't just drop the burden and go on about your day. Go another mile. Move past obligation and do it for the sake of the kingdom of God. Because what do you think, listen to me, what do you think is going to happen when you take that burden further than you are forced to go because of the law? What do you think is going to happen? That Roman soldier is going to look at you and say, what in the world are you doing? And what a gospel opportunity there for that, to tell him, I'm doing this because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Obligation dictates that first mile. Compassion dictates the second mile. So if we were to practice this here on earth, here's kind of what this would would look like. We would say to the person, you know what, I serve you because I have been served. In fact, let me tell you about the one who comes to serve us both, who came to serve the world, bearing its burden of sin all the way to the cross. And listen, this is the kind of mindset, the kingdom mindset that Jesus is trying to communicate to his disciples. Think with the big picture in mind. Now, the inevitable question that comes up here is, but I don't want to be taken advantage of. If I don't retaliate in some way, then they're going to take advantage of me time and time and time again. But here's the fourth point. The righteous person trusts God with justice. The righteous person trusts God with justice. And and let's look at the example of Jesus in this. Verse 39. We find Jesus saying this. He says, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Now the word for slap there is the word rapizo. It's the Greek word rapizo. It's found one other time in the book of Matthew. It's found in Matthew chapter 26, verse 67. And do you know what's taking place there in Matthew 26? You might tell me. Matthew 26, what's taking place? The trial of Jesus. And in Matthew chapter 26, what's taking place is, is Jesus is being beaten, punched, spit on, and rapizo. He's being slapped. Matthew 26, 67. And you would think that Jesus, with all the power and the the ability that he had, would have reacted in vengeance for what's happening, but he doesn't. He trusts God with justice. He operated with the big picture in mind. When I was in high school, um, I worked in the grocery store stocking shelves, and I actually got that job the day I turned 16. 
And it wasn't too long after that that uh, there was a guy who was also working there. He'd been working there before me, and he made it his chief goal in life to pick on me. And I'm pretty sure that every single day he relentlessly picked on me. Well, one day, um, it was worse than all the other days. And in fact, I got there, and he started running his mouth the time I walked in the door. And all day long, just on and on and on, he didn't stop. And there came a point in which anybody in this room ever seen red? Got so angry that you see red? Okay, I have multiple times. I'm not proud of it. This is one of those times. And listen, he wasn't ready for it, but he said he made this comment and he thought I was just going to do what I did every other time and just stay quiet and not say anything at all. But I didn't. And I hauled off and I hit him as hard as I could. I mean, I hit him so hard it knocked him down and it all went downhill from there. And I won't tell you what happened afterwards, but I went home sore, okay? We'll leave it at that. But you know what? Ever since that day, I've absolutely regretted doing that. Because I didn't follow Jesus' teaching. I wasn't relying on God for the justice. And there's a strong chance by me that by, by me not controlling my emotions, I lost every bit of the opportunity that I previously had to witness to this guy. And as far as I know, even today, he still doesn't know Jesus. And I wonder sometimes what might have happened if I had followed Jesus' teaching and his, his example. And I wonder if that guy's life may be different if I had followed Jesus' teaching and example. This walks us right into what we find next here in the Sermon on the Mount. Verse 43, let's pick up reading there. Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Once again here, there's this Old Testament teaching and Jesus comes right alongside that teaching to clarify what God intends for this teaching. It's been taught that a Jew should love their neighbors but hate their enemy. This is how the, the, the Pharisees have distorted this, okay? You can love your neighbors but you should hate your enemy. Scholars tell us that the mindset that, that, uh, that many people had in this is that the teaching says, love your neighbors and hate your enemies. That's what's actively being taught by the Pharisees and other religious leaders. However, the Israelites in this case, especially the religious leaders, they thought that by hating your enemies, your hatred was God's judgment on those enemies. In other words... They assume that they're the only ones who are worthy of God's love and that anyone they hated, God hated. Mm, that's pretty heavy, isn't it? I hate this person, so God must hate this person, and that's God's judgment. My hatred for them is God's judgment on them. When in reality, God is not partial at all. He's not selective in who he chooses to love. 
God loves our enemies the same as he loves us. God loves our enemies the same as he loves us. The grace that he offers one person is the same grace that he offers another person. So Jesus says that here that, that God makes the sun rise on both the evil and the good. He sends rain on both the just and the unjust. So love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. There's a story in the Old Testament that illustrates this, this idea of loving our enemies perfectly. And I want to uh, pull out the, the Jesus Storybook Bible, okay? I've read this for you before, but I'm going to read a story from the Old Testament. It's one that we know very, very well. It's a story that shows us what it looks like to forgive our enemies, all right? The title is The Forgiving Prince. Jacob had 12 sons, but of all his sons, Joseph was his favorite. One day, Jacob gave Joseph a splendid new robe. It was beautiful and rich with all the colors of the rainbow, but it made Joseph's brothers jealous. They wanted rich rainbow robes too. Then, to make matters worse, Joseph kept on having these special dreams. I dreamed I was the greatest. I was king, Joseph told his brothers, and you all bowed down to me. Now, I'm sure you know, even if Joseph didn't, that telling your brothers things like that is not a very good idea. Joseph's brothers hated him even more. They wanted to kill Joseph and his dreams. One day, that's exactly what they tried to do. They tore Joseph's robe off of him and sold him to slave traders for 20 pieces of silver. The traders took Joseph to Egypt and made him into a slave. The brothers went home and lied to their father, telling him that Joseph was dead. That's the end of that dreamer, they thought. But they were wrong. God had a magnificent dream for Joseph's life, and even when it looked like everything had gone wrong, God would use it all to help make the dream come true. God would use everything that was happening to Joseph to do something good. Meanwhile, though, things were not looking good for Joseph in Egypt. He was far from home and from his dad. Then he got blamed for something he didn't do. And even though he had done nothing wrong, he was punished and thrown in jail. But God had not left Joseph. One night, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, had a scary dream about thin cows gobbling up fat cows. What on earth did it mean? He didn't know. But Joseph was a dream expert, so Pharaoh sent for him. It means a famine is coming, Joseph explained. There won't be enough food. Pharaoh was so pleased by Joseph's skill that he immediately took Joseph out of jail and made him a prince. Now back home, Joseph's brothers had run out of food and everyone was hungry. God's special family was in danger. If they didn't get food soon, they would starve to death. So Joseph's brothers traveled to Egypt to buy food. They came and knelt before the new prince. His brothers didn't know that the prince was Joseph, but Joseph knew who they were. Joseph's dream, the one about his brothers bowing down to him, was coming true. It's me, Joseph cried. When they saw it was Joseph, his brothers were afraid. They had wronged Joseph. They had sinned and they knew it. Now Joseph would certainly punish them. But Joseph looked at his brothers and his eyes filled with tears. Even though his brothers had hurt him and hated him and wanted him dead, in spite of everything, he couldn't stop loving them. His heart, which they had broken, filled up with love, and Joseph forgave them. Joseph threw his arms around them. Don't be afraid, he said. Behind what you were doing, underneath everything that was happening, God was doing something good. God was making everything right again. Joseph didn't punish them. He rescued them. He brought God's special family to live safely with him in Egypt. One day, God would send another prince, 
a young prince whose heart would break. Like Joseph, he would leave his home and his father. His brothers would hate him and want him dead. He would be sold for pieces of silver. He would be punished even though he had done nothing wrong. But God would use everything that happened to this young prince, even the bad things, to do something good, to forgive the sins of the whole world. You know, as I think about what Jesus is teaching here and how he had the big picture in mind, I can't help but think that oftentimes we got the little picture in mind. This person did something to me. They hurt me. How can I get them back? The Russians are our enemies. How can we pay them back? But a mindset like that shows that we're not operating with the big picture in mind. We're looking for what we can gain. Churches, we wrap up this talking about the retaliation and the loving your enemies. Can we move to a bigger picture? What's God doing? Big picture, what's God doing and how can I join him where he's working? I want to read for you one more verse down here at the bottom. Verse 48 says, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And God's standard is perfection. It's like Jesus wraps up all of this This we find in chapter 5 by saying, you know what? I told you before that your righteousness has got to exceed that of the Pharisees in order to enter the kingdom of heaven. You have got to be perfect to get into heaven. And you say, well, how in the world do I do that? Well, Jesus' righteousness his perfect righteousness, that's what gets us into heaven. So Jesus has been showing us that it's his righteousness alone that can get us there. But here's what it looks like to live righteous lives as, lives as a result of this. We have been given Jesus' righteousness. We have met God's standard of perfect only through Jesus. But listen, because of that, let's go live holy and perfect lives. All right? Father, thank you for your word. And for this sermon where Jesus first starts off by just breaking down what it looks like to honor you with our lives. Father, understanding that murder, lust, hatred, anger, all of these things are not meant to be a part of our lives. These are not things that characterize the disciple of Jesus. They certainly don't characterize Jesus, so they should never be a part of our lives. Father, would you help us to live the kind of life that honors you and you alone? And Father, we thank you for the, the way that you equip us and you help us to do that. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.